Welcome to Empire, presented by CW Hemp, a weekly installment dedicated to exploring the non-psychoactive side of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of the American economy, hemp has been used in over 25,000 products, including paper, textiles, construction materials, health food, and fuel. Now, tune in and discover all there is to know about this wonder crop making a historic comeback. Empire, presented by CW Hemp, starts now. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, my hearty thanks to you for joining us on Hempire, the show devoted to all things hemp. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As I've mentioned before, I taught at the University of Southern California for 14 years, at the University of Albany for 10, and I have over 150 publications in the addictions, including the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I'm also a High Times columnist. But all this talk about me is making me uncomfortable, so let's turn to today's guest, none other than Eric Steenstra. He's president of the Board of Directors for Vote Hemp and executive director for the Hemp Industries Association. Eric, welcome to Hempire. Thanks for having me on, Mitch. Hey, so tell us what up with Vote Hemp. Well, Vote Hemp is a uh, nonprofit group founded by... uh, members of the hemp industry in 2000 to change laws at the state and federal level to let American farmers grow hemp again. And we've been making some real, you know, steady progress on this. It's been a long effort uh, the last 15 years, but in 2014, we managed to get a piece of added into the farm bill that finally opened the door for uh, pilot programs and research on industrial hemp. And so finally, we've got some American farmers are starting to plant the crop in a variety of states. I can't thank you enough for doing it, man, and what an amazing battle to go for, for all that time. It sounds like there are some stellar ecological reasons for turning to this. I was hoping you could elaborate on those. Yeah, hemp is, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a really sustainable crop. For one thing, you know, it's and, you know, there's various things you can produce from hemp. There's the fiber, there's the seed, and there's even some of the cannabinoids that are also in hemp, primarily CBD, but some of the other non-psychoactive cannabinoids. But in any case, hemp can be grown in pretty much in all 50 states, and, and it's really the only other fiber crop that we have in the United States is, is cotton. And as an example there with cotton, you've got a crop that is super dependent on water and has most heavily sprayed agricultural crop out there. So it's not very sustainable, not very environmentally friendly, and hemp provides a real alternative fiber crop there. And it also has a really nutritious seed, so there's a lot you can get out of it. And, you know, it grows pretty well in um, most parts of the United States. So that's a real mind blower. It's wild to think that both, you know, far north and far far south, it can it could actually grow, and yet it sounds like legally that's just not permitted. Yeah, you know, the I mean, federal law has has treated marijuana and hemp to be the same since since at least 1970. Even when the Marijuana Tax Act was passed in 1937, they didn't really understand what the differences were. They kind of knew that farmers were growing, you know growing hemp and, and, and that other people were producing stuff from the same plant species for to, for smoking purposes, but they didn't really know. They hadn't identified THC at that point. They didn't really understand what the differences were. And when they wrote the Controlled Substances Act, they didn't distinguish at all, and the DEA says, hey, hemp and marijuana, it's all the same thing as far as we're concerned. It's just marijuana. Oh, man, what an egregious error. So when I think about this, I usually think of hemp as having a big, long stalk and not the big buds that are sort of the stereotype of marijuana. Is that pretty much the case? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, cannabis is an interesting plant, and so it can be grown in different ways. Most of, you know, a lot of the hemp that's grown worldwide is grown more like a row crop, right, where you're growing it in, you know, it's densely planted so that it grows straight up and tall. You could also plant hemp in, you know, in a in, in similar way to where marijuana is grown, where it would produce more leaves and foliage. But generally, that's correct. Um, well, see, and I mean, the the whole idea of that being even psychoactive when it's mostly just a, a giant fiber seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And, you know, the DEA has a great word for the hemp that they seize, which is most of, most of the wild marijuana that's actually seized in the United States is actually called ditchweed by the DEA. Hundreds of millions of plants are, are pulled up every year, and they're really just, you know, wild hemp growing in some farmer's field out in, you know, Indiana or Wisconsin or Kentucky or something. So, but yeah, you're right. You know, it's completely worthless. And if somebody pulled over on the side of the road and said, "Hey, look, there's some," you know, what, "What's that?" and they tried to smoke it, they would they would be pretty darn disappointed. So, I mean, under the impression that I mean, it might be less than one percent THC. Clearly, nothing compared to what folks are buying in Colorado and Washington now. Is that pretty much the case? That's right. Yeah, hemp, hemp typically is uh, varieties of cannabis that are 1% or less. You might find some that drift a little higher than that, but for the most part, so, you know, scientifically, it's typically in that range. And as you know, most of the marijuana out there is probably in the 10, 15, even 20% range these days. So uh, we're talking about a completely different animal here. And so are there big consumers of industrial hemp here in the States already? There are. You know, it's interesting. That's that's really how we've gotten to where we are with the policy is the fact that a lot of American companies started importing hemp, either finished goods or raw materials from overseas, and ended up growing over a half a billion dollar market over the last 20 years. The Hemp Industries Association puts out an estimate annually of the sales of hemp products at retail and estimates that in 2015, it was about $575 million dollars. About $250 million of that is uh, foods and body care. So, you know, you can go into places like Whole Foods or even Costco and find, you know, lots of nutritious foods, everything from shelled hemp seed or hemp seed oil to, you know, products like snack bars, granola. So there's a huge range of products out there. And then the same thing with the body care, you know. It's stuff like Dr. Bronner's magic soaps or, you know, lotions or all these different products out there. And, and, and it's, a, you know, it's grown to a really significant market. And the crazy thing is that we're driving up our deficit, so to speak, with regards to, you know, having to import all these products instead of allowing American farmers to produce them here domestically. I mean, it seems like there are a lot of jobs at stake then, if that's really the case. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I mean, the hemp industry has already created... You know, lots of jobs just just on the you know on the retail and manufacturing side. If we brought all the farming and further processing over here, it would cre- it would add significantly to that. It kind of breaks my heart, given all the people I know right now who are really looking for work. Um, is this the kind of thing that could be spread nationwide, given the way it could grow? There's no question about it. You know, it's going to take some time to bring this industry back. Because what you have to remember is that, you know, at one time, I mean, you know, 100 years ago, the USDA had a researcher that developed specific varieties for farmers. There were farmers in Kentucky and other parts of the Midwest where they were, you know, growing hemp all over the place. They produced seeds for farmers. They even had a program during World War II to bring back hemp fiber for the war effort. And so at that time, we had the seeds, the genetics, right, that were maintained and developed by the U.S. government 
Uncle Sam actually had a hemp farm right here in Arlington, Virginia, across the river from Washington, D.C., and, you know, where they, where they researched the different varieties. And they had the processing equipment, too, to be able to process it. And all that's been lost over the last 60, 70 years. And so now we're really starting over. We have to, you know, import genetics from other countries. All that's left here now is this wild feral hemp that's growing, and we have to... Uh, you know, people are going to have to do breeding work with it, and we're going to have to invest in new processing equipment and, and rebuild the industry from the ground up. So it will take some time. I don't want to get too mechanical, but what's going on with the way those fibers are processed? How, how would that really work? Well, it's not just the fibers, right? It's also the seed, for example. But as far as the fibers are concerned, it can be a variety of things. It can be, you know, first off, the the outside of the stalk is like a, the bark of the stalk, right? It has long bast fibers, and those fibers are held onto the stalk by lignans and pectins, and they so those have to be broken down. That can be done a variety of ways, but basically, you know, either through a dew or a water redding process or some type of a degumming process. So there's a process there that has to happen. And then in addition to that, there's a mechanical separation where the woody core of the stalk has to be separated from those bass fibers on the outside. And then, you know, that, that way the, 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 the woody core portion could be, you know, used for, let's say, animal bedding or construction materials. And then the bass fibers could be used for composites like an auto part or, or a textile or even some really high-tech applications. There's new research out from... Uh, a professor at Clarkson University who discovered a way to uh, use hemp fiber to actually to create a, a replacement material for graphene that's far less expensive and performs really well. And that can that's, be used in supercapacitors. I was going to say, that's such a mind blower when you get into the electronics of that. And the whole idea that an, an organic fiber might actually do that really blows my mind. Does, does that work look pretty compelling? It looks extremely compelling, and I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's the interesting thing. You know, back in the 40s and before, you know, hemp was viewed much more simply. You know, it was rope or, or you know, so, something more rudimentary like that. But now we're starting to take a look at all the potential applications. And actually, I think maybe 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 Jack Herrer even underestimated the total no, you know number of products you potentially could make from this plant. You know, and he said 25,000, but... Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely uh, impressive, and, and certainly that's a great application. As you know, a lot of the you know future is going to depend on energy and batteries and that kind of thing, so hemp could play a real role there. It's just a wild thought, and, and you mentioned Jack Hare, and could you just elaborate a little bit on his book? It's become such a classic. Absolutely, and so many people like myself came into this industry after reading The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which was a you know, amazing book that uh, was written by Jack Herr, you know, back in the 1980s. And, you know, a lot of us had, didn't, I mean, I grew up, I never really knew any of the history of hemp or, or cannabis. And, and Jack was the guy who went out and did all the hard work to, to dig that up and put it back out there in a book. And I think, you know, if you look, you know, when you went to school, it, just nobody talked about it. And so we had to re-educate ourselves. And I think Jack did the, you know, a huge service to the, you know, to um, to the world by by putting that book out there and educating so many people. It was translated in many languages and uh, has, you know, has led to a lot of people being becoming really aware of what hemp and cannabis can do. He was an amazing guy. I'm glad I did get to meet him once. Hey, my uh, cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak always says we got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. 
We're going to be right back after these messages. Hold on for more Empire after you've grown to learn more about our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. I said palm tree. Yo, 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 this your boy, TJ, Trinidad James. You're listening to Dr. Bina on Cannabis Confidential. L.A., what up? Nickname James, man. I'm already like a like. People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh, man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think would look down for say on what we enjoy cannabis confidential only on cannabisradio.com time to harvest more crop-tastic content on empire only on cannabisradio.com we're back on Empire. Uh, as I mentioned, today's guest is none other than Eric Steenstra. He's president of the board of directors for Vote Hemp and executive director of the Hemp Industries Association. We've mentioned a great deal of use we can get from the fiber on the hemp plant, but you also alluded to some wild products we might be able to make from the seed. Could you tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. It turns out that hemp seed actually is pretty darn nutritious. One thing that it has in it is it's an excellent source of really digestible protein. And as more and more people are, you know, they're turning to plant-based diets or, or using more, you know, plant-based proteins in their diet, people have really discovered that hemp is a great way to get that. And in addition to that, it's also a really good source of omega-3 essential fatty acids. And that is one of those good fats that doctors recommend for health that isn't, you know, isn't in a lot of the foods that we eat. So it's something that it makes it a good source for that. So it's also really tasty. The shelled hemp seed, sometimes called hemp nut or hemp hearts, has become quite popular. And we, like I said, we've seen it go from, you know, starting in the 
natural food co-ops and maybe Whole Foods and now even into places like Costco where more and more people are incorporating it into their diet. So hemp seed and hemp seed oil are here to stay. And I, I think, you know, there's one of the companies out there estimated that only maybe one or two percent of the public is actually consuming hemp seeds, and yet we've got, you know, $100 million or more in sales of those products. And so there's some real potential as more and more people learn about it for this to grow and for hemp to uh, be planted on more acres to supply that need. I got to admit, I really love the taste. I'm curious, a lot of listeners are always wondering what happens if I end up getting drug tested. Well, that's one of the things the industry dealt with early on, you know, so we actually established a voluntary standard called Test Pledge. It was based on some uh, peer-reviewed science that was published in the Journal of Analytical Toxicology. And basically, all the hemp companies clean their seeds to the point where there's, you know, I mean, there isn't any THC in the seeds themselves, but it does get, it can get some traces, you know, microscopic, small, you know, we're talking about a few parts per million kind of thing on the seeds. But this way, the way that the, the hemp is processed now, even if you eat hemp on a daily basis, you're not going to test positive on a drug test. That's a real relief to those of us who really love those flakes or, or the nuts. It's, it's really uh, a splendid food source. You also alluded to some cosmetic uses. Could you tell us a little more about those? I mean, there's a lot of potential uses in, uh, from the seed oil. For one thing, it can be used in soaps or lotions or other types of skincare products, and it's been found to be really you know, great for, for skincare. But in addition to that, there's a number of other uses. I mean, it can be used in inks, can be used in fuel. You can make, you can use hemp seed oil pressed straight out of the seed right in, in a biodiesel, and and there's been a few uh, demonstrations that have shown that uh, you know you can drive a car on it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be competitive with gas, but who knows? Maybe the stock eventually will be convertible to biomass once the technology comes online for that. It's just a splendid thought to think that we might actually have cars running on it. I just get a big kick out of that. You allude to the movie and and some of that movement for Hemp for Victory. I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because, you know, with the, the way the federal government has treated hemp over the last 40 years or so, especially the fact that uh, the government actually went back and promoted the growth of hemp to farmers in the 1940s is kind of interesting. If if any of your listeners are, haven't already seen it or are curious, you can go on to you know Google and search Hemp for Victory, and you can find the original 1940s era film that was produced by the War Department to encourage farmers to grow hemp for the war effort. And basically, you know, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, they cut off some of our fiber supplies and government realized that we were going to need these in order to be able to fight World War II. And so it was your patriotic duty as a farmer to go out and grow hemp. And they ramped it up really quickly and grew, you know, a few hundred thousand acres of it in a very quick period of time to uh, supply that need. So, But it's fascinating because the, the movie not only tells farmers they need to grow it, but it also talks about the history of the crop. And it's largely what Jack said, that, you know, Jack Harris uh, you know, told us that the, this had this long history and was grown here by the founding fathers and grown for thousands of years and that's pretty much what the video says as well and then can you tell us what's up with the hemp industries association yeah absolutely so the hemp industries association was founded as a trade association of hemp businesses researchers and farmers back in the 1990s and 1994 actually 
And it's a good group if you're looking to get in the industry or if you're involved in the industry to connect with others, you know, find other suppliers or customers. And then the Hemp Industries Association holds an annual conference each year. And this year, actually, we're going to be holding our conference next month in Colorado, in Denver. So um, anyone who's interested in finding out about, more about that could go to the HIA website, which is thehia.org. Superb, superb. And do you guys have a Facebook page as well? We do, yeah. We do have a Facebook page, and I would also mention that Vote Hemp is another good resource and that uh, if any of your listeners haven't already written their members of Congress to tell them that we need to change the laws to make this, you know, sort of open this up fully for commercial cultivation under state law, they, they could do that through Vote Hemp. We have a tool they can easily write their legislators with a nice pre-written letter and uh, let them know where they stand on it. And then, Eric, I know a lot of our listeners are just curious about your own personal story. How did you end up in, in so deep with the hemp plant? Yeah, you know, I read, as I mentioned, I started out with Jack's book. A friend of mine shared a copy of that, and it really opened my eyes. And ended up starting a clothing company in 1993 so with a friend of mine from D.C. here. Some of your listeners may know him. His name is Steve D'Angelo. And in any case, we started a clothing company called Ecolution, and that's how I got into the industry initially. It's wild. We don't really think about you know that side of it. Is this a tough business to get into? Is this is this a rough world? You know, yeah. I mean, I think I think any any time you try to start a business, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And I would say hemp has additional challenges, especially because of the fact that we've had to import it from overseas for all these years, and and, uh, we're still facing a lot of challenges with the DEA. I mean, the regulations, even today, the farmers are having to grow it. you got to import the seeds, and there's extra regulations that you wouldn't have with another crop. So uh, it still is a challenging business, but I think it's still a pretty rewarding one, and there are a lot of people that have jumped into this and are excited to be part of it. It does sound riveting. When I show that Hemp for Victory movie in my class each year, a lot of the students claim that they were told that the hemp fiber and the cloth really can't hold a crease and doesn't seem to work as well as as flax or, or cotton. Is that really the case? Well, I don't know if that's the case at all. I mean, uh, you know, years ago when we got into the business, I mean, it's it's a, you know, flax and hemp are different. You, know, you think about the look of linen. You know, it's not uh, it's not like polyester where it's perfectly smooth. It's going to have a little bit more of that natural look to it. But I think a lot of people like that, and and so there's that. But the hemp fibers actually has a number of really great textile properties. It breathes much better than cotton does, and you know, it's also much more durable in a number of ways. I mean, the strength of the fiber itself significantly stronger than cotton. Also, the length of the fiber adds to the strength in the, when you twist up the fibers. So um, there's some benefits to it. And then, and then, as I mentioned, there's these other applications. I mean, we're seeing major car manufacturers, BMW, Mercedes, Ford, you know, Volkswagen, have incorporated hemp fiber-based composites into their vehicles. And we're seeing millions of cars on the road today that are being made with hemp and other natural fiber-based composites. So Hemp's got some real, you know, advantages, and the auto industry wouldn't be using it if it didn't perform better than alternatives like fiberglass. That's wild. Hey, how does your family react? Do people give you trouble on this or make jokes about smoking your shirts and stuff? They used to. <laughs> I think after uh, all this time, uh, I think they, uh, you know, probably have learned a lot about hemp, and so uh, you know, I don't, I don't get too much grief about it anymore. But I certainly remember those days. 
<laughs> it's kind of a wild thought. I got to admit, it really does wear well. I've had some hemp socks now for several years, and they seem to be doing a real good job. And I, I like that look that's a, a little rougher, and they're plenty soft and seem mm-hmm. to be doing great. Yeah, there's a saying out there that hemp doesn't wear out, it wears in, and that's one of the nice things about it. It kind of, you know, I've got hemp clothes that I've had for, oh, well, 20 years that are still uh, still holding up fine, and it's amazing that they've, you know, that how long they've lasted. Oh, man, 20 years, that's a pleasant thought, and, and what a great way to, you know, think about the economy and the ecology under those circumstances. Well, we do have to wrap it up, but my hearty thanks to Eric Steenstra, president of the board of directors for Vote Hemp and executive director of the Hemp Industries Association. My continued thanks to all the production wizards at Cannabis Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on Hempire. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.